0: Guys, thanks so much for coming on the final Wednesday before Thanksgiving break. I know you could be dreaming about what you'll do next week or avoiding schoolwork or actually doing schoolwork and a lot of other things, so I'm thankful that you're here, and uh, if you have been coming, then you know that we have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark this semester, and we... uh, Are going to kind of fast forward to the end so uh we have uh, we're going to meet again for a large group two weeks for tonight for kind of a one final one for the semester and it's going to be a little christmas themed and should be great good yeah a lot of enthusiasm for that i like it and uh so we're going to kind of fast forward through we've been all along uh working toward this point where Jesus would come to Jerusalem to die and rise again. And uh, tonight we're going to look at this passage, uh, which is usually called the triumphal entry when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. And uh, for most of the passages we've been looking at, Jesus has been in Galilee in the north of Israel. And uh, this is where he's showing up in Jerusalem, which is where the temple is. So this is like the place for Israel where the temple is. Uh, around Passover time, which is like the time to be in Jerusalem. And uh, that's where we pick up. So I'll read for us Mark 11, uh, 1 through 11. Uh, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. When they went away and found a colt tied to... And they went away and found a colt tied uh, at a door outside in, in the street, and they untied it. And some of them standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. Uh, pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, would you guide us and uh, give us insight into it? Uh, Would you apply its truth to our hearts uh, to comfort us, uh, to encourage us and challenge us, and uh, ultimately make us more uh, into the people we were meant to be? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know what you guys have planned for this weekend. I was telling a group back there that I have some pretty Dope plans lined up uh, on Saturday at eleven AM. Got tickets booked already to go see Frozen 2 with my <laughs> little kids. And it's gonna be their first movie theater experience ever for both like they, they don't know what a movie theater and we're going to like IMAX too, so <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, and we're a little worried about it because My kids have seen Frozen 1, a few of the Pixar movies, and they're, like, pretty freaked out by them. Like, I don't know if you've seen one of those movies lately, but they're very suspenseful. And, uh, you know, they have to be because to be a successful movie like that, they have to be able to, like, hold the attention of not just little kids but older kids and even adults. And so uh, these movies, like, do have a lot of suspense, which really freaks out my kids, especially Asher, who's two. Like, he's... I don't know what's going to happen to him on Saturday, but uh, you know the reality is like the movies that they make for kids that also appeal to a broader audience are like these roller coaster rides where it's like it seems like it's all going to be a happy ending, but then this crazy thing happens, and they just take you on this roller coaster ride, uh, especially near the end of the movies, and uh, it's quite frightening at times, and you know the ending is great, and. Uh, this story, what I want to suggest to you is the story that we just read here uh, doesn't make, it won't make a lot of sense unless you're familiar with the roller coaster ride that has brought us to this point in the Bible, uh, specifically all through the Old Testament. So uh, I want to just take us on a brief tour of the roller coaster ride that has gotten us here. Uh, In the beginning of the Bible, God creates a wonderful world. And it's perfect in every way and God and his uh, Adam and Eve who he created are together and it's great and then sin enters the world and everything falls apart and it's uh, the world becomes a scary place but then God promises uh, that he will redeem the creation he will redeem the world and yet uh, wickedness is allowed to kind of Prevail for a while, and it says the world gets increasingly wicked. And so, God, if you know the story of Noah and the ark, uh, God uh, floods the earth and he saves Noah and his family. And it's kind of this restart, and uh, Noah's family grows. And uh, eventually, God calls uh, Abraham specifically and he says, I'm going to make a nation of you, Israel and uh, I'm going to use you guys to save the world, like your family, this family Israel is going to save the world, and it sounds really great, and there's this like miracle uh, child that's born, and uh, and these, this family is miraculously growing, but then they get enslaved in Egypt for like 430 years, but then they get brought out, and like moses god sends moses and he parts the red sea and they're brought out miraculously from egypt and it's like this is amazing but then they like start worshiping a golden calf in the wilderness and uh they're rebelling against god and they're like mad at god for rescuing them and it's like what the heck is going on but then god uh still brings them again miraculously into the promised land this land that he had promised like hundreds of years before to abraham but then there's all these enemies of Israel in the promised land, and it's, uh, things go bad for a while, but then, like, God's kingdom is finally established, and there's this great king called David, and David is, uh, you know, really becomes a really powerful and great king, and, uh, and but then there's these other kings that kind of uh, come after David, and some of them are, like, really bad, actually, and, and then, but some are actually kind of good, and, uh, but, they're bad enough that eventually they're conquered by uh, Babylon and uh, the temple, everything that's there gets reduced to rubble. They're brought to Iraq. And uh, it seems like it's, you know, what's going to, how is God going to use this people to save the world if they're like in exile in Babylon? But then they're brought back and they are actually able to rebuild the temple. So you see the roller coaster ride, right? And in the midst of this, At this time, at this point in the story, there's these prophets that emerge like Zechariah. And they start to prophesy. They said there's going to be, this is a word from God, that there's going to be a king one day that will fix all of this. Like the roller coaster ride that we're on, there's going to be a king who ends it, who fixes it. And Zechariah, a prophet, uh, 500 years before Jesus arrived, says this. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey and that's how we arrive at this text 500 years after that Uh, but the bottom line is we need a king the bottom line of this story is only a king sent from god can fix this mess and i wonder if you ever feel like life is an unfixable mess like maybe some aspects of your life uh, you can fix, but uh, you know, ultimately you're not going to fix the whole thing. Or maybe you sometimes feel like, you know, what I could use is kind of a do-over on life. Uh, or do you ever feel so overwhelmed by how broken the world is? You know, did you follow the latest school shooting story, which you know, is just part of this like, cascade of school shooting stories that seem like they're never going to get any better? And it's just like, what is going to fix this? And the Bible's answer is that we need a king sent from heaven to fix this. And there's, you know, there's a lot of people that think, well, like, if technology advances enough, then things will be fixed. But more and more people are starting to give up on that notion just because of how messed up technology makes our world. And, um, you know, like, it can't fix, it can fix a lot of things, but it can't fix the mess ultimately. And that's what the Bible is really about, is waiting for a king. Christianity won't make a lot of sense unless you're waiting for a king To come and fix the mess. So, uh, tonight we're going to be thinking about that. Do you know that you need a king? And if so, the good news is there is one that has come. His name is Jesus. And uh, he's not just a king, Uh, he's the exact humble king that we need. So, that's what we're going to look at. He's the king and he's the humble king. Uh, So, first of all, he's the king. Now, this is the passage where Jesus actually announces that he's. The king, And we can see it in this passage. Like, did you notice how he orchestrates the whole situation? You know, where the disciples are going to find this donkey. Like, it's this way of showing, like, I'm actually in control of everything. And he knows exactly what's going to happen. And if you were here uh, last time, we looked at the story of Jesus healing a man, a blind man named Bartimaeus, who's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him. And that was like the moment where he's like, yeah, I am the king. Because for a lot of the ministry prior to that, people would be like trying to get him to be like, tell us who you are. And when you heal people, he'd be like, don't tell anyone yet. And this is the moment where he kind of like outs himself. And he's just like that I am like when Bartimaeus says, son of David, have mercy on me. And he goes and he heals him, It's like, yep, that's me. That's who I am. Uh, I think a few weeks ago, we were talking about how I was a skateboarder growing up, a mediocre, bad, bad to mediocre skateboarder. And uh, I had friends that were really good and uh, I never really was good at like the ramps and stuff, but I had, you know, I I went with friends and sometimes I would try things. And uh, if you know about like skateboarding ramps, I don't know if you've ever like watched the X Games or something, they have like the big ramps that are shaped like a U and, uh, it looks a lot easier than it actually is. Like, it's really hard just to get going on a ramp like that. And the reason is because you have to drop in. And to drop in means, like, at the top of that ramp, it's like a wall. And then it kind of curves out. And so to drop in on a skateboard with wheels on it means that your skateboard has to be, like, it's like going down a wall. And if you're starting flat, it means you have to, like, like, lurch your whole body forward so that it's, like, parallel with the ground, and that's the only, like, you have to fully commit to what you're doing, or else it'll just slide out from under you. Uh, okay, this is Jesus dropping, like, Jesus is fully committing as he rides into Jerusalem, as he heals Bartimaeus, like we looked at last week, and as he rides into Jerusalem, uh, you know, he, he, they called him the son of David, and he's delivered. Uh, he knows how the people are going to respond to him, uh, how angry the religious leaders are going to be, uh, because these are people that have, all these people in this scene have been waiting their whole lives for the moment when they find out who the king is. And, you know, when the son of David would come and make everything right, they're all laying down their robes as a sign of submission. They're waving their uh, branches, which is like a symbol of uh, God's people, like nationalism and victory. And uh, what you need to see with Jesus dropping in, with him saying, "Yeah," yeah, it is me, is that Jesus is a humble king, but he's not a modest king. He doesn't, like, in this scene, he's not like, oh, guys, stop it. Please, please stop it. He receives it. Like, they're saying the son son of David is here, and he's like, I am here. He welcomes it as these people worship him. Uh, People are creating this huge scene uh, about him being the king, and he accepts it. Uh, So this is the point of no return for him. He's essentially saying... This is who I am, and I heard a pastor put it this way. He said, you either need to crown me or kill me. You either need to crown me, king, or kill me. Uh, And this is a lot of what we've been actually talking about this semester as we look at the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We've looked at all these things that Jesus claims and all these things that he's done, and what we've kind of, said a few times is that you can love him or hate him but what doesn't really make much sense is to be kind of lukewarm toward him to kind of uh, vacillate on certain things with him and what i hope we'll see is there's a lot about our lives that don't really make sense if jesus is the king that he says he is because there's a lot of parts of our lives uh, that we don't give over to him that we don't want him to be king over but saying like you can have this part of my life but not that part of my life doesn't make sense because if he's the king of the universe then he's the king of everything Uh, and living life with him as king is the only way we can actually be fixed so you know one litmus test about uh, for you is you know whether or not Jesus is your king is do you pray it's just the quickest way to know because when we don't pray what we're saying is I got this I'm the king just sobering because I struggle to pray but when we don't pray we're essentially saying like I'm okay I got this and you know if you're here tonight and you're thinking like man I really need to learn to pray like we can talk about that I'd love to talk about that with you we can talk about that in a small group or whatever but uh, that's kind of the the easiest litmus test is do you pray Um, what other areas of life is God absent from for you Is he absent from who you date, or who your friends are, or how you manage your time, or the way you approach school, or the way you approach future and career, the way you relate to your family? Um, Are you living life like you need a king, or are you living life like you need to just like move some roadblocks out of the way, and then you'll be set? And what we need to see is there's a bottom line to Christianity. Jesus is either the king or he's not. And that presents a real problem if you're like me, because it's too ingrained in us not to have a king, not to submit to him. Like, I'm naturally suspicious of authority, and if I have a king, it means he can tell me what to do. And I have to listen, even if I don't feel like it, even if it's going to be hard to do what he says, You know, there's a way that Christians are called to live that's costly. We feel the cost. It goes against the grain of so much of what we want to do and be and so much of what the world is like around us. Uh, And you guys know I talk to a lot of you and other students, uh, a lot of, the, you know, spend a lot of my time talking with UConn students and we talk about Christianity and RUF and the gospel and what I've heard a lot of students say over my years at UConn is is things like you know that sounds really great but like come on it's not realistic like you know like I like certain things but like come on give my life over like have jesus run my life like it's too it it sounds nice but it's never gonna happen and when i hear that that's when i think you know like you need to see jesus as He. you haven't met him yet as he is like you really need to see him and meet him and we actually meet him here because he's not just a king uh, but he's the humble king he's the humble king we need Uh, And there's a reason most people reject Jesus. Like, most people reject Jesus, and it's because we don't want a king. Like, we actually live in a country that was founded on the idea of not wanting a king. Kings are bad. Kings look out for themselves before they look out for other people. Uh, It's always been this way. But that prophecy I read from Zechariah says that there would one day come a humble king riding on a donkey. Uh, Humble king was, like... That idea did not exist before Jesus. It was an oxymoron. Like, these two things, humility and a king, didn't go together. Like, why would a king be humble? Because people with power can't stay humble. People with power exploit people. They don't serve people. I don't know if you guys have followed, you know, for the last several years, there's just been this onslaught of, like, Hollywood people and politicians And other powerful people found out to be exploiting others and taking advantage of them. And right now, the big story is Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire, and Prince Andrew, the member of the royal family. And these stories are coming out about how they have just like ruthlessly exploited young girls. And you know, think about that. Like, why did they do that? Like, these are two of the most powerful men in the world. Why would they do that? Probably because they wanted to and because they could, right? They had the power to do that. Uh, One uh, man who lived in the 1800s named Lord Acton put it this way. He said, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. And it's true, right? Great men are almost always bad men in history. And I want you to think about that. And then I want you to picture the king of the universe, the one who made the sun and the stars and the ocean, and you riding on a donkey. Like, have you seen a donkey lately? How pathetic they look! How, like, he's riding on a donkey. And back then, if you were, like, a conquering king, like, you found the biggest horse you could find, like, a war horse, and you wrote, like, there's stories about Alexander the Great conquering and riding in on, like, this amazing war horse that no one had ever seen before. And a donkey was for, like, a peasant. It was for a servant. So what does it mean that Jesus, the king, comes as a servant? And it means that he's come to be the king... Not to exploit you or take advantage of you, but to save you. And why do we need to be saved? Uh, we need to be saved because we are actually servants who try to be the king. We've put our, ourselves in the place of the king. That's one way you could understand what sin is. Sin at its heart is a servant saying, no, I'm the king. I'll do it my way. I know how my life is supposed to go. I know what's best for me. I get to decide. And to the actual king, that is offensive. And a servant who acts like that doesn't deserve to be included in the kingdom. Like our sin, that attitude, that disposition actually messes up God's kingdom. It causes us to do all kinds of hurtful and harmful things. But there is a humble king who has put himself in the place of a servant. So if if sin is a servant putting himself in the place of a king, what salvation is, is a king coming and putting himself in the place of a servant. And we can see it happening as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and the people yell, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, Hosanna, if you don't know, means, oh, please save. And it's, they, it's, you know, like, you know how, like, English people sing, like, God save the queen? It's kind of like that. Uh, saying Hosanna to the son of David meant, like, God save him so that he can save us. But what they didn't know and what Jesus did know is that, like, the moment he dropped, the moment he healed Bartimaeus and dropped in, he was riding to his death. The way that the humble king would save us was if God would let go of him. And Jesus, so what Jesus does is he takes servanthood to the fullest extent. He says, I will die so that they can be saved, so that we could live and serve God the way we were supposed to, the way life was meant to be. Uh, I talked a little while ago about how we all resist Jesus as the king. We all know there's a cost, right? It's hard. Being a Christian means you have to serve others before yourself. Being a Christian means you might miss out on things in life that are pleasurable and seem great that other people seem to be enjoying. But if you come to know the humble king, you'll actually become like him. And living like him will be hard, but... It won't be burdensome. Like serving others instead of yourself is hard, but it won't be burdensome because you were always made to be like him. And Jesus is the humble king so that we can become kingly servants. And this is a big deal because I think I talked to a lot of you and I think a lot of you view yourselves pretty low in terms of like what God could do with you in your place in this world. And what God has come to do is to make you a kingly servant. You know, it's this simultaneously like low view of yourself and very high. Like God wants you to, like God is calling you to extend his kingdom. God has called us to this amazing position of honor, representing him, the king in this world, not to puff yourself up and be like, oh, I'm so great. It's this actual like humble status too because we needed him to save us we're not better than anyone but we are called by the king into his service he's the humble king that makes us into the kingly servants and we reflect his character like that uh, so let me pray that we would actually do that that he would work that into our hearts and lives let's pray <laughs> Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that we would come to see more of the humble king. Uh, The only person of power who uh, doesn't live to exploit us, but to bless us and make us like him, uh, to share everything with us. And we pray that we would be changed by that. And I pray specifically that we would see ourselves rightly uh, as people created by you in love. Uh, People that have a very high standing before you and in this world uh, called to reflect your glory, uh, your humility, your service, and your love. Uh, We pray that you would uh, work that into our hearts and lives, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.